Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Can you believe it's July already? Since we're smack dab in the thick of summer, it's only right that I hit you with some heat. I am over the moon to be releasing this week's episode with the cherubic minch from the Midwest, Kinzo Shibata. In part one, we will learn that Kinzo uh, has basically always been Kinzo, (laughs) except for maybe when he was a little mean in high school and a total and complete dumbass that one night in college, as you'll soon hear. (laughs) But I was pleasantly surprised to learn about how he took some of the negative experiences he had in school and used them to influence how he showed up in the classroom when the time came. It's a beautiful Sunday. One might say easy like Sunday morning, and clearly I'm in a song mood because that's how I want to open up. Who do we have today? Great. Glad you asked. There was a song by um, by the great Jada Kiss during the late 90s or early 2000s. We're going to make it. And uh, just this little snippet might give you a clue. Teach your kids how to read and write and use the ruler. Mostly just read though, um, because that's what we do. If, particularly if you have a shitty politic or analysis. The teacher, the educator, the union man, the Kinzo Shibata. What's up Kinzo? Janelle, thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) This is awesome. Ah, Thank you for agreeing to to talk to a lunatic for a little (laughs) bit to get your story on the record. (laughs) How are you doing? Doing great. It's a lovely Sunday morning, just like Lionel Richie said. That's right. And, uh, Come on, you better know the reference. In yes. a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. That's right. <laughs> yes, Mr. Rogers style. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is like a very nice part of Chicago. So, thank you for um, being willing to sit down with me today. Um, you are you are a figure <clears throat> uh, on the domestic left here, and I feel like we we. We get to know you and your politics, obviously, through um, through your various broadcasting um, outlets, Class Time, Meet the Left. Um, but I would like to understand how a Kenzo comes to form, and I'd like to get your story. And it's very probably appropriate or apropos that your beautiful <laughs> parents <laughs> and your son are here, too. And they might be able to throw in a little bit of truth if you start editorializing a little bit. But uh, talk to me about where it started. Oh, how did, it started. How did it start? Um yeah. I was born in, uh, well, Niles, Illinois, uh-huh. and I lived most of my childhood in Hanover Park, Illinois. Where is that relative to Chicago? That is a, it's like a blue class, a blue class, blue collar <laughs> suburb, uh-huh. uh, about 45 minutes west of the city. Okay, okay. So you grew up in greater Chicago land? Yeah. Okay, with your beautiful, lovely parents. Mm-hmm. They Were you the only child? So I have two older sisters from my mom's first marriage. Uh-huh. So they moved out when I was very young. Uh-huh. They moved out when I was about five. Mm-hmm. So I was the only kid in the house for most of my life. The baby yeah. boy. Yeah. So you're super spoiled. Tell the truth. Don't make that face. You know, I'm going to ask your mama. She's right there. <laughs> because of the asterisk. <laughs> 
because of the fact that I do actually have two uh-huh. sisters. They're, they're half sisters, but I consider them sure, sisters. Sure, sure. It's a little complicated, but I definitely was spoiled with attention. I will. Give yeah. You that. What do you mean? I will give. You, I know that. Don't don't <laughs> act like you you breaking news to me. Get out of here. Uh huh. Okay. So the spoiled prince was growing up as the only child, mostly in the home. You had two um, two older sisters. Mm-hmm. Like, what was what was it like? Pre, pre-middle school when you were awakened to some curiosity about your Jewish identity and heritage. Like what was, t- describe for me okay. what it was like growing up Well, um, in your community. I mean, the way I, I, I describe it usually is I was raised Jew-ish. Like I wasn't. <laughs> jew hyphenish. Yeah, my father is Buddhist, was raised Buddhist, okay. but doesn't really practice any religion. Uh-huh. And so like they didn't want, they, did, I wasn't, they weren't heavy handed okay. with a religion, but uh-huh. when my grandparents, my Bubby and Zadie were still alive, mm. Uh, we would observe the high holidays oh, together. Right so that was a way of really connecting with that, um, you know, the culture. Sure. Um, now, did you, were you one of very few Jewish children growing up in, in that area at the time? Yeah, there was oh, okay. one other family. Oh, okay. So that, so that is kind of, not made it difficult, but if you don't have like a critical mass of, you know, kind of culture and observance and rituals that can kind of make it a little bit different. Okay. So you were mm-hmm. one of a couple. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And also like one of the very few Asians. Oh no, no, I shouldn't say that. I was one of the very few Japanese Americans though. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you have a, was there a little bit of um, tension or kind of straddling of like the identity question, if you will? I mean, mm-hmm. I, that it was a different time. So it's not as like, it wasn't, as much of a thing then as it is now but like did you did you feel mostly J- japanese american did you feel mostly jewish did you did you feel japuish um like how did you kind of make sense uh, of that growing up do you think that's an interesting question japuish Kenzo, would, feel free to tell me shut the or you could say japanese that works okay, too ju- okay thank you <laughs> the love of the portmanteau is uh, that rolls off a little bit better <laughs> uh, go um you know, I would say it depends on really the situation. Okay. Like sometimes I felt more connected um, to the, you know, the Jewish culture, sometimes mm-hmm. more to the Japanese culture. Um, interesting thing too is like when you're growing up kind of amp- uh, like racially ambiguous, uh-huh, uh-huh. a lot of it is not knowing how people are approaching you. Ah, 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 ah. And like, I am also like some people uh, mistake me for um, Latino or yeah, Latinx yeah, yeah. and um so it's interesting too because like my, my wife is um, she's you know Jewish, Caucasian, uh-huh. um, but speaks fluent Spanish. Uh. So people will come to a, up to us on the street and start speaking Spanish to me, mm-hmm. and I speak very very rudimentary Spanish. <laughs> uh-huh. So I look like I'm got a few issues, yeah. <laughs> and then she'll start responding sure. in perfect Spanish, yeah. and like the person's jaw will drop, yeah. <laughs> and they'll be like confused for a few seconds and they'll roll with it because they're like oh i can communicate with someone you're right and if it doesn't make sense right, right now one of you can help me get directions to the grocery store <laughs> so i think like growing up too it was like that like mm. um <clears throat> sometimes at the park people like say hey chinese kid come over here mm. um and not always in a malicious way sure in Just a way like, like a, an identifier like, like saying hey you in the blue hat yeah 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 things like that huh. um sometimes it was bad though sometimes there was um you know, definitely some some bullying and picketing, picking on around. because of because of w- how people perceived you ethnically or racially, or, or? yeah. Oh, okay. I'd say huh, so because huh, huh. it was it was a mostly like white community, or um, I'd say like fifty percent white. Okay. Um, fairly diverse mm-hmm. for the suburbs, I'd say, but sure. not not outwardly diverse. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. What was your understanding of like your the the p- 
politics of your community growing up as a child? Or or did you have any sense of that? You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good question. Um, as a child, so my parents watch a lot of um, the news. So uh-huh. the news was always on at mm-hmm. home. So I was always aware of current events. Mm-hmm. So I always would think about it. So like I knew, I always knew who the president was. Mm-hmm. I knew who, um, even like local politics to a certain extent. Like uh-huh. I... Um, knew who the players were, um, but uh, didn't have too much of a sharp sense or, like, interest in politics until probably middle school. How do you think you understood your parents' politics or uh, ideology growing up? Or did you not have, or was that not even, like, uh, I think like salient? Um, one of the things, like, my mom grew up in Chicago, uh-huh. where everyone's a Democrat. Yeah. Like, it's the machine. Yeah, it was and very real. And the suburbs, it was a little more um, divided. Uh-huh. And so now um, this is like a pretty solidly blue state. At that time, it was purple, kind of a little more, a little more purple. Okay. Um, so I always knew that, like as a family, we supported the Democrats. Okay. And I didn't quite know what that meant. My mom kind of had a simple version of it that, like, a younger kid can understand sure. that, like, the Democrats want programs for poor people, uh-huh. and the Republicans want programs for rich people. Uh-huh. So that was kind of imprinted on me that there was a difference. Like there was a there was a reason to vote. Mm-hmm. And my mom took me out to vote. Okay. Uh, every every time she voted. Uh uh uh. And so like that, the process was very clear to me. Uh, an interesting thing I do remember mm-hmm. was um, my mom taking me to vote. I don't even remember how old I was, but these people were handing out uh, cards, mm-hmm. and my mom wouldn't take one, and she's always very kind and yeah. gracious about yeah. that stuff. I'm like, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. And she said, those are Larushis, and they hate the Jews. Oh. I don't know what a LaRouche is. So Lyndon LaRouche, and I don't quite understand the full story. Mm-hmm. He was like a perennial candidate for a while, uh-huh. an anti-Semite, but he ran on the Democratic ballot line, mm. con- conspiracy theory nut. Mm. And he, he put together kind of like a cult oh. called the LaRouches. Oh, dear. And they still exist to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I don't quite understand what unifies all of their ideology, but sure. it's it's nasty and it's terrible. Mm. Um, and like... They have candidates that run like everywhere in the country. I don't uh-huh. think they ever went office though. I gotcha. I, I've never, I've never heard of that. So now I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole tonight. Thank you oh, yeah. so much for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you? Was your you? You speak about your mother taking you to vote. Was your father, looking back, maybe in retrospect, a little bit more apolitical or or not political <laughs> at all? Or did you have an understanding of kind of where he? Uh, where he was in terms of ideology or politics at so the time. So he, um, he's not a citizen, so like oh, he can't okay. vote. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. Uh, which gotcha. is an interesting lesson. Huh. Um, he was be- not a citizen your, as you were growing up. Yeah, he gotcha. still is not. Yeah, oh, he's oh, oh. a resident alien. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Um, so it got me on. Starting to think about like the whole idea of immigration because like uh-huh. I know my dad and I know he works really hard. He pays his taxes. Mm-hmm. He follows the law. Sure. But isn't allowed to vote. Uh huh. And for me as a little child, that just seems so uh, unjust. Uh-huh. Like I'm like, well, you know, why can't he vote? Like he's he's contributing to society. Uh-huh. And I think that planted some of the seeds for like my questioning our immigration policy. Or, uh-huh. Like the whole idea of like why do we have these arbitrary. Uh, designations citizen non-citizen like Mm -hmm. you know people are people and people come here for a reason Mm -hmm. um you know i didn't know this as a kid but they come here because of america's own colonialism uh, and it's all a cycle so Mm. i think there were a lot of little seeds like that that planted along the way that had me questioning just what's considered to be like the proper social order i gotcha interesting 
Um, hmm. What did your parents do growing up? Uh, my mom worked, um, she worked retail when I was really little. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got older, she worked in an office mm-hmm. uh, doing customer service work. And my father's always worked in the camera uh, business. Oh, so, Like equipment or yes, film? Yes, camera equipment, exactly. Okay, okay. Um, still, still cameras mainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked for Olympus um, of America for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the time, you know, fixing cameras and other times, like managing other people's work, fixing cameras. Huh. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, you know, breaking the, the Japanese stereotype, he worked in the camera industry. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Did you have a? Did you think that everyone more or less uh, w- lived like you, like growing up? Like, did you have a sense of like class, or your family's social socioeconomic station? If mm. you will, growing Good up. Question. I, I know, I was... Kinzo. That's why I'm here. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> when I was little, little, mm-hmm. no. Um, you had everyone, no concept of it. The neighborhood I lived in at that time, everyone was pretty uh, working class. We all like. When you say working class, does that mean like both parents worked outside the home? Yes. Is that your understanding? Okay. Okay. Um, and then you know, just kind of muddling through to help, you know, get life, you know, together. Survive. Like you find help, uh, childcare where you can. Yeah. And um, but then there was a bit of community there that I liked. Like on Halloween, mm-hmm. we would uh, do this thing where uh, each house mm-hmm. was like a different station. So one house we did apple, you mm-hmm. know, dunking for apples. Mm-hmm. Another one car carving uh pumpkins uh-huh. another one served lunch uh-huh. um so like we all didn't have very much but we'd pool things together sure and had a cool community um very bad landlords mm. so we ended up actually moving out of that community because of that did your did most of the people in your this sounds like in er, one of the early communities you lived in when you were very very little was that a mostly like renter a renter community yeah. like not 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 um most people didn't own their the properties they lived in? Correct, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. What was yeah. the what was the situation with the landlord, the shitty landlord? Um he was just a shitty not landlord. fixing anything. Wow. Um you know, that that kind of stuff. Like uh-huh. to the house part part to the point where the house was sometimes just inoperable in uh-huh. some ways. Uh-huh. So it's like we have to move. I gotcha. Do you do you miss do you miss the fibrous nature of um of that of that early community you grew up in now? Uh, I do, but also like I feel like we're building. We've we've got that here now in the uh-huh. neighborhood we're in. Like uh, my wife Erin is on the local school council. Right on. We're both involved in the um, the Friends of group, which is like a fundraising committee for the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we're we're kind of building that together okay. still. Like you know we were selling um, what was it box lunches for a while to mm-hmm. fundraise for the school down mm-hmm. just down the street from the school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I was really inspired by that. Uh, like, the community I lived in after that early one was pretty transient. Huh. So, like, I'd have friends, but not for very long. What made it, what was What was the nature of the transience of the uh, other community? I just feel like pe- a lot of young families would move in there. Mm-hmm. And once they kind of got on their feet, they would buy something uh, in a kind of a better neighborhood. I gotcha. <laughs> so, this was still, you, were, you guys were still renting in the second community that you yeah. later moved into. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also bad landlords, but more uh, reasonably bad landlords. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, were, were you, how would your, how do you think your parents and or community members like would have described you as a child or would describe you as a child? Like, were you hell on wheels or um, are you pretty similar? Do you have a similar like affect uh, than that you have now? I was like, I was a troublemaker. Ooh, tell me what you mean by that. But I wasn't, I was like a, I had a big mouth. 
I mean, that was no. the big thing. That was Kinzo. It, like, yes. <gasps> Maybe this I has could, to do. I could never <laughs> even conceive of such. Uh huh. What do you mean you had a big mouth growing up? Ah, uh, you know, if if a opera, I always had this like a smartass or yes. like or like I'm gonna make you cry because your mama ugly. What like smartass, <laughs> but also um, like just really stubborn. I got an anecdote. Huh. Like in sixth Please. grade, I was. Uh, doing a group project with a good friend of mine mm-hmm. who I'm still friends with this day. Mm-hmm. Chris, Dr. Christopher Schneider, he was on my podcast actually <laughs> last right week. Uh, and he and I were both troublemakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was hap- I just happened to be behaving this afternoon. <laughs> I just happened to be and behaving. And he and I were working on this group project uh-huh. and we were done. And so like I, I started doodling or something, but then Chris started like goofing around with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so the teacher deducted points off our project to together. And I uh-huh. said, well, that's not fair for, she Aye. said, um, well, you know, Saddam Hussein is doing lots to the Iraqi people mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. You know, they just happen to be there. Ma'am, whiskey, tango, foxtrot. What does that have <laughs> to do with me, madam? So my reaction was, so this makes you Saddam Hussein in this situation, doesn't it? <laughs> Got him. Uh-huh. What did you She was stuck. She was stuck. Uh-huh. And she said, you know, you need to apologize to me or take a detention. And I said, can I, <laughs> looking back on it, I can't believe this was my response. Uh-huh. It was, can I have a day to think about it? <laughs> what <are> you, uh, <clears throat> okay, you were my kind of kid. Uh, so what did she say then? So then she, she agreed. Yeah. And then so I talked to my parents about it. I talked to my friends about uh... it. I talked to like people I admired. I'm like, what, what, what should I do in this situation? Uh-huh. And I decided that like I was right. Yeah. So I took right. the detention. Boom. And um, yeah, that was that. Ob- objector <laughs> of sorts. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Did you, did you, did you, was school, did you have a, a little bit of a contentious time like in school growing up because of, because of you being a troublemaker yeah. with a big mouth? I would say like first, second, and third grade, mm-hmm. I uh, had a bad reputation because of it. With the teachers? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, because this, this, the little MF who gonna, who gonna try you. So I had a first grade teacher who was just very strict, but very fair. Okay. Her name was Miss Stolt. Mm-hmm. And I behaved for her. You know, I mean, I would act up mm-hmm. and then like she would lay down the law mm-hmm. and then I would be okay. Uh-huh. And then in second and third grade, I had teachers that I perceived as having certain biases. Huh. And Towards you in particular or everyone? Being like anyone with a reputation kind ah, of okay. as a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. So I never felt like I got a fair shot with them. Gotcha. And I think that did uh, impact the way I felt about school. Mm-hmm. Like, I, well, you already think I'm a troublemaker, mm-hmm. so why would I? Why would I even try why to would I even not try? be? Uh-huh. And then it was in fourth grade, Miss Lynch. I'll always remember her name. Yeah, she pulled me aside one day and she's like, "Why are you in this reading reading group? You're much further than because like what would happen is other teachers would punish me for my behavior by like putting me in lower reading groups and uh, things like that." Uh. And then she's like, you know, she like very bluntly at some point was just like, you're very smart. Uh-huh. And I don't think people have given you enough credit for that. Uh-huh. And Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did the treatment from, did that sort of, uh, those petty acts of retribution on the on behalf of the educators in charge of your learning environment, did that come to affect your own self-image in terms, with regard to how you understood yourself to be smart or not? I think so, yeah. How, tell me, Tell me what you mean. Um, well, I think when the expectation is that no matter what you do, you're like a troublemaker, uh-huh. um, you'll, you'll lower your own, I, I, I kind of realized that like I could get away with less then. Uh-huh. And 
also like, you know, if you're never going to have a high expectation on me, then, um, you know, I can just kind of live where the expectation is. Huh. And, you know, if I'm not going to get positive reinforcement mm-hmm. from the, from, you know, when I do something good in class, yeah. I'll get that positive reinforcement from making jokes. And yeah, that's off right. With my classmates. Yeah. And so, you know, no matter what, you know, you're in school for six hours a day. You yeah. want to get little bursts of uh, serotonin. Or, yeah, sorry. And serotonin. if I'm not getting it positively from the teacher, because right. the teacher's mocking me to right. make me an example. I'll get it from somewhere. I get it from somewhere. Yeah. And the other kids, you know, found me pretty funny at the huh. time. <laughs> Did you, do you think that you, do you, uh, do you think that your, the development of your personality was then, like, like, directly in response to, like, the hostility you were, you were receiving? Like, do you, like. You don't, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. do you think that you became, like, the like the funny guy, like, and I presume that's followed you throughout your life because of that? I think so, yeah. Okay, okay. I okay. think that had a lot to do with it. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Back to you. <laughs> I just want to say, and I'm, okay, no, we're not, we're going to park right here for a second. I'm projecting. But do you think that this, that experience, those experiences with you um, in the educational setting, like, informed how you approached when you became an educator yourself yes. later on? Okay. In fact, uh, the reason why I wanted to become a teacher, well, I, uh, maybe I could talk a little bit about this. Like, my initial plan was to be a radio broadcaster. Mm. And uh, long story short, I just kind of realized that uh, the opportunities weren't going to be there for me, but the loans will <laughs> stay with me for a long That's time. That's right. So I switched up and decided to become a teacher. And one of the things that really inspired me was the fact that uh, I had some good teachers, but mm-hmm. also I had some really bad experiences. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it had to do with uh, discipline in the classroom uh. and not, you know, having teachers that would just ca- just write me off uh-huh. like from, from the get-go uh-huh. um, or teachers that wanted, this was always a thing that was so cringy and always annoyed the shit out of me in mm-hmm. school, were the teachers who wanted the students to think they were cool, so they would try to be cool with the cool kids. Tell me, I think I know what you mean, but tell me what you mean by that. Like, there was this teacher, and I I can't make this up. His la- his name was Mr. Bro. <laughs> I can't do it! French spelling, <clears throat> yeah, B-R-E-L-U-L-T, yeah, but uh-huh. yeah, his name was Mr. It. Bro. <laughs> uh-huh. So he would make fun of, like, the punk kids and the goth kids uh-huh. and the fat kids and the... Nerdy you know, kids. Anyone to make the, the quarterbacks laugh. Okay. And to make the cheerleaders laugh. Ew. And... And Did that seem like, inappropriate to you at the it time? It seemed inappropriate. It, absolutely inappropriate. Okay. And, and actually really sad, mm-hmm. too. Like, right. I don't know if all the kids picked up on it, but a few of us would talk about how sad that was. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like you weren't popular in high school, so uh, now you're trying to make up for it. Ew. Um, and that's one of those things I'm very cognizant of, cognizant of in the classroom. Sure. Like, I try to be like a big brother mm-hmm. to my students. Like, when I first started teaching, I was 24 and I looked about 16. <laughs> And I realized, that baby face. Uh-huh. yeah, I didn't have a beard, <laughs> yeah, and I, I couldn't grow one at the time. <laughs> I, uh, I just realized that like they're not going to look at me as like a parent, yeah, like they're just not going to. But if they could look at me as like an older brother, mm-hmm. they want to um, impress, they want to you know give them uh, advice and like look up to, yeah, I could handle that. Sure. So I kind of honed that as like a teacher personality, mm-hmm. as, like the older brother, mm-hmm. and um, that's worked really well for me because. When I like, for example, I did an assignment recently where the kids brought in uh, songs that mm-hmm. they connected to um, uh, the the, uh, the concept of double consciousness that W. B. Du Bois write yeah. about, writes about. Uh-huh. That is something that like 
there are a lot of first-year teachers that will very cheesily come in and say, here's WB Du Bois. Write a rap about it. I'm going to rap about it. Don't be goofy. Yeah. Don't be goofy. Don't do that. So, like, I'm like, well, you know, there's there's some real value in having students compare Du Bois' writing to, like, what, you know, Kendrick Lamar. Like, That's right. I saw a great paper about that. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you know, I did that by saying, okay, kids, show me how cool you are, mm-hmm. and I'll be impressed by you. Yeah. And that's what they did. And they actually introduced me to a lot of music I never heard of. Right on. Some was great. Some of it was crap. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I always like engage with an open mind. With sure. That. I'm sure. never just like, this is, well, post Malone, I will not give any credit. He to. goes, that's my line. That is exactly my line. <laughs> I, will, I will give the kids crap for liking post Malone. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the new ones, I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll not be a total boomer about it, but I'll be like, oh, this is cool. I never heard about this. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for sharing this with me. Let's talk <laughs> thank about how you, this Thank you, youths, for <laughs> opening my eyes to little such and such. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> okay. So that always works. You know, I always find that works better. So uh-huh. that's kind of what's always in the back of my mind is connect with the students on a deeper level than teachers normally do, but don't try to be their buddy. Yeah. Don't try to, like, have them think you're cool yeah that's we don't need to do that yeah Mm. so did your so what was high school like then for you was it was were you did you have a little bit more latitude to like be you in the educational setting and that not kind of stigmatize you of sorts like what was that like i uh there was a little bit of um a lack of self-awareness a bit i had in high school what do you mean i was much meaner than i remembered do you what do you mean i was much meaner than i remember because i was the type of person who um you know i i my good friends were like the punks and uh basically the punk rockers like were you an eyeliner like wearer no he okay we didn't uh, do that well i did Uh, nail polish actually okay black Black nail polish but not the eyeliner okay um that wasn't really big at the time okay i I remember all right did you have Um, gauges in your no okay okay just the nail on occasion okay um, a lot of times just long haired. I was like a long haired punk. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also like if I was in a, a lab group with a bunch of like popular kids, uh-huh. I'd be cool with them. Oh, I'd okay. be like, talk to them. And then I see them in the hall and I'd say hi to them. Uh-huh. And other people would give me weird looks like they're not us. They're not part. I'm like, I don't know. I, I connect with them 45 minutes a day, every yeah, day. That's right. I'm going to say hi to them. Yeah. It's like, not a big deal. We're not living, you know, we're going to parties together. Yeah, that's right. So... Because of the fact I connected with so many people, and then I was prom king, too. Yeah, okay. I was, uh, yeah, I became, there was actually a bit of controversy, because Mm. I was nominated for Homecoming King. Okay. And someone on the Homecoming Committee released the vote totals, where I won overwhelmingly, Uh but it was, uh, but it was actually given to, I think, like, the, the head quarterback, or something like that because he was a better symbol for the school. Were the vote counters, did they become DNC apparatchiks? <laughs> <laughs> because this is giving 2020, but that's... Considering <clears throat> it's like mm-hmm. the people who did that are the people who are like in charge of the class clubs, I, I bet. Yeah, okay. I bet you there's that's some right. overlap. Yeah, and we say fuck you to those guys. Thanks so much. But then so by prom much. happened, uh-huh. uh, when prom happened, like there was, people were like, you gotta give it, yeah, I think there was like a bit of a movement, like you gotta give it to <laughs> Come on, a bit of a movement. So, look back on all that and i'm like well i must have been pretty nice okay you know if everyone well why do you why did you say though that you think you were mean because people have later told me that but what do you think they meant by that like did they ever say like do you remember that day that you've you've told me that i fucking suck and i'll never amount to anything i here i am i think it was more my name is rents (laughs) previous i was just very like 
Were you were you were you like gruff in your affect? Is that what people meant? I think that's part of it. Or were you rude? I didn't take shit. I think that was part mm. of it. Was like my dad when I was really young told me to fight bullies. Ah. Like that was kind of the advice he gave me is like if someone punches you, you got to punch them back. Boom. I'm having some complications now because I haven't taught my son that. I don't you know did or you did not I teach your son? I don't know Why? exactly if I want to. Why? We have time to think about it, I think. Okay, okay. All he right. hasn't really crossed that bridge yet. Okay. But it's, He's you know, a lover, not a fighter, just shit. So far, yeah. Okay, listen. But it worked well for me because people would think, well, you know, Kenzo's a weird, you know, I, I was a punk rocker. I was mm. a guy that you would probably normally pick on. Mm. But don't fuck with him because he'll punch you back. Yeah, that's right. Or even worse yet, because a lot of bullies, what I learned, never really want to fight. Yeah. They want to bully you. They want you to think. They want you to fear yeah. the idea of a fight. Mm -hmm. um, but they probably fear a fight just as Ooh, much as you do. That's right. Um, so I learned like just you know calling bluffs. Yeah, that's right. And come I at me. I got a lot of respect for that. Uh -huh. And then when you have that, you carry yourself in such a way that like you know I probably had my shoulders up in the yeah. hallway and walked we call that bde now i can say I. that because your parents aren't here um <laughs> but yes uh-huh that's what you're saying uh -huh. but, you know never afraid to look people in the eye yeah um so you know being that direct in kind of space where people are more passive aggression mm. passive aggressive uh, -huh. uh they take it as being like mean and gruff i think and that's people that's still do that in or in leftist organizing circles Absolutely. and it's it's I, mm, it's it it grates my nerves. It's like it's, it's you don't have to. Not everything has to be like said in a soft voice. And hey, da, 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 da. like if I if I'm gonna tell you what it is, don't don't then paint me as you know some the big black bitch. Even though everybody <laughs> does anyway. Anyway, that's fine. That's <clears throat> neither here nor there. Did you explore your politics through punkness? It kind of all came together around the same time. Ah. Uh, the the punk. You know, I, I got into you know anarchism in about seventh grade or so uh -huh. and then i started going to punk shows in eighth or ninth grade okay and uh there was a band called los crudos uh-huh uh you're familiar with them no they're a hardcore band from the south side of chicago mm -hmm. um they sing in spanish and english mm. just hardcore like anti-gentrification uh -huh. um militant politics like one of the awesome things that they, they would do is like they would have these seven inch singles and mm -hmm. like when you unfold the the cover to it, uh -huh. they'd have all these news clippings about um, 70 cent labor in Bolivia. Hmm. And like, you know, they were like really putting together a zine and putting together um, propaganda uh -huh. on their records. That was so, intensely political. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. This yeah. was coming into my life around the same time, uh. um, you know, theory was. Ah, uh -uh. And so, like, just having it all come, kind of come together uh -huh. was so cool. Ah. Did you, at, around this time, did you start looking askance at your mother's kind of formal democratic politics because of where you were in, with regard to, like, anarchy, communism, blah, blah, Yeah, at that point, um, that's when I started to see kind of a rift in things. Ah, like, tell me about that rift. Reading about um, Bill Clinton in the socialist papers as opposed to the capitalist papers uh -huh. that was such so enlightening to me because uh -huh. all i would hear about was how bill clinton was this brilliant man who was bringing together the left and right uh -huh. to like form sensitive or sensible policy uh -huh. 
And then I'm reading in The Socialist Worker and all these other places about how... Um, he ain't shit. Yeah, welfare to work was destroying people's lives. Yeah, that's right. The telecom bill was destroying people's lives. He, during on a campaign stop, he flew in to watch a mentally handicapped man be executed yep. to show the world yep. that how, he, how much of a he bastard he is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, that and then like uh, learning about Walmart. And like mm. Walmart was one of those... It was exploding in the 90s. They did exactly what they did everywhere else in my town. Yep. Was they they dumped a bunch of cheap products yep. when they moved in and yep. then all these other stores closed. Is, yep. And, you know, I was like telling my parents, oh, you shouldn't shop there. Um... And that led to some interesting conversations because they're like, well, you know, we don't want to drive very far. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's actually cheaper. The stuff is actually cheaper here. Um, so it just it did kind of show me some of the ripples in the like the, the rifts in the system. Uh-huh. Did your did where you were with regard to like what you were learning and um, the, uh, the uh, epiphanies or revelations you were coming into because of these socialist papers. Did you feel kind of alone in that as an adolescent or did you have like a coterie of like friends or homies that were also there with you that you had like a way to kind of discuss and kind of try and make sense of it all? Um, I definitely tried. When the internet came to be, that was a huge thing for me. Uh-huh. Uh, finding other politically minded like punk people. Uh-huh. Uh, on message boards ah. is really cool okay. um, because people existed in uh, in the Chicago area, but like it was also kind of like I had my group of friends, uh-huh. and then there were like you know anarchist punks that hung out in the anarchist bookstore, and I would love going to the anarchist bookstore and spending time there, but mm. like I wanted to spend time with like my close friends. Sure, so, sure, sure. Um, the internet was a great way of like spending time and having like conversations with people. Was that your main outlet for the for this uh, the the political discourse that you want to engage? Well, actually, I, before I discovered uh, internet uh, groups, mm. I actually published a zine for mm. a few issues, uh-huh. which I um, I found. You know, I was able to like find a few pl- like lefty politically minded people in my high school uh-huh. to help write articles and do artwork for it, uh-huh. and. Um, so that part was cool. That part we all connected on. And uh, it did, uh, it was probably, one of my first cancellations happened because no, of it. Stop, stop, don't do this. What do you mean? <clears throat> Kenzo, so what do you mean? I published a poem. <laughs> Kenzo! <clears throat> Go ahead, sorry. I published a poem uh-huh. in the zine, which was called Third World Order. Uh-huh. Very intense name. For and a very it, intense young man. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was a poem by my friend about a punk rocker who became a raver. Uh-huh. And it's just like a satirical poem. The rave kids got so pissed off about mm. that, mm-hmm. and they bought up a bunch of issues to mock, uh-huh. which I thought was so great, because I'm like, these are $2 a piece. Duh. You all just gave me 20 bucks, Right on. So you can scribble all over it. Uh-huh. You know, I'm selling twice as many now. <laughs> And that kind of, you know, gave me a bit of a an insight into what cancel culture would later be. Like, you know, they were like, fuck Kenzo, fuck his friends. You know, they're, they're mean to the ravers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I was selling more issues okay. at that point. Uh-huh. More people were talking about it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, a couple years down the line, because high school kids, young kids are young kids, I started going to raves and I became friends with those kids. Oh, huh, okay. All right. So <laughs> that, there were. did you ever offer like an olive branch like... Hey guys, I didn't, I didn't mean exactly everything that I said in that poem. No, actually, no. It was just, it was just peace. It was just all good. I think I, uh, I, you know, being a young, um, 
immature person was thought, well, I didn't write that poem, so they should they should apologize if anything. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> when it was time for you to graduate and go off to school, you were already very clear on wanting to be an educator. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I presume that your you were encouraged to go to college, like you that like that was the expectation of you familiarly. It was um, it was expected. I uh, was actually the first really in my family to go to college. Go or graduate? Both. Well, to graduate actually, because okay. I remember my sisters. They've both since graduated, mm-hmm. but uh, they did. Uh, I think a little community college, and then didn't actually return for another like ten, twenty years. Oh, okay, okay. So you, so neither your parents went or graduated. So. My mom uh, attended. And then uh, married her first husband, mm-hmm. and then didn't complete. And then my father completed uh, his high school levels in in Japan, which is it's a bit different. It's almost like it's the same amount of education as a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. um, considering the school he went to. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You where did you where did you want? What was like your dream school to go to? I wanted well. Um, I was thinking Boston University. Why? Uh, I wanted to move out east. Oh, okay. You and wanted to get out of the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I um, wanted to pursue radio, uh-huh. and they had a good program there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also had very little guidance on scholarships and, and all uh, that other stuff. Uh-huh. So at that point, I kind of gave up on anything like that, and I went to community college. Okay. Because you had a um, sense of the cost? Yeah. Okay. Co- well, it was just like... I uh, I didn't even know really how to apply for loans or uh-huh. grants or anything at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, it, while I was in community college, that's how I learned how to like fill out financial aid forms gotcha. and uh, apply for grants and scholarships. Mm-hmm. So I did two and a half years in community college, uh-huh. um, which was actually a really good experience for me. Oh. I um, The teachers where I went, they really wanted to teach. Mm-hmm. They weren't there to publish. Mm-hmm. They were there to like interact with students and, and open the mind with of- us. So like I had a really good experience that actually um, made it harder for me in some ways when I went to uh, my four year school, Illinois State, mm-hmm. because a lot of the professors already had this impression that we were like fully formed academics. Uh. And I didn't understand that like you're supposed to talk a lot in class mm-hmm. and uh, the schmoozing and the office hours mm-hmm. and going to seminars and events. I didn't get that part. I thought you show up to class and you do your work. Uh-huh. So I was not happy with my grades for a while. Oh, at, at Illinois State. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It wasn't really until like I learned how to play the game uh. that my grade, that I started getting A's. Uh. And um, one of the people that, kind of an aside though, because uh, an amazing professor I had was Christopher Brew, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm still friends with this to, to this day. Mm-hmm. And he taught English, um, and he opened me up to concepts of like, of Marxist analysis of literature. Huh, like, I never really of literature. Thought, yeah, I never huh. really thought of it that way at huh. that point. And um, he was just very open-minded, and his class was so open, uh-huh. and just um, you know, we just felt so felt so connected to each other in our senior seminar class that. You know, we had students talk about being sexually assaulted, mm. like and like openly talking about, you know, what that meant, and actually like connecting it to the to the theory that we were reading. Uh, um, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Give me give me a synopsis of what a Marxist analysis of literature is, because I'm I maybe my degree isn't worth a good goddamn because I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, like you know, if you look at 
how uh, like the labor theory of value can be demonstrated through characters and through like their plight. Ah, okay. Um, was there I, one book in particular that you that you read that that brought that home? I can't remember. Okay. okay. One thing though that he did have us read, which had a really deep impact on me, was a book called Passing by Nella Larson mm. about a black woman in maybe the twenties or so mm-hmm. who. Uh, was very light-skinned and lived a life of passing. Uh-huh. And uh, the f- f- she had, like, a white husband and, like, like was accepted in white society. Mm-hmm. And her fear, of course, at the whole time was all it took was one person to expose her. Yeah. And, like, her entire life would fall apart. Yeah. And it got me thinking about how, like, my own racial amb- ambiguities. Ah. Not that I was having the same issues that the main character had in that book. Sure. But the idea of racial ambiguity had never been... Uh, addressed to me outside of my own head. Uh. So that book to this day, um, you know, I thought was very inspiring and, you know, not just as a, a work of literature, but like getting me think to think deeply about identity. Uh, okay. And did you come to any conclusions at that time around identity? That there's, I mean, to, basically that there are more questions that I had that I, than I knew I had. Like I, I didn't know as much, I knew far less than I actually had. Like there were more questions that I had about identity like what came up as a question reading that book showed me that it was that identity is not static Uh and that it's always evolving and in a lot of times with your identity it's you're fighting really hard because other people are trying to uh characterize you for the purpose of well for the purpose of oppressing you in some cases uh uh, to you know um dissecting you mm-hmm. and labeling you uh-huh. figuring out figuring out who you are or uh-huh. where you're coming from mm-hmm. but did you did you did you connect that to like the ultimate purpose of the categorization and labeling at that time like did you have that sense like i don't think so ah okay, okay. i think it opened up some ideas but it i didn't get that far gotcha. at that point okay did you now you said this earlier when you were trying to when you was trying to zoom on past all of the details that you wanted to party in school i need a story because i know that you went buck wild. exactly how buck wild did you go in school and were you buck wild in community college or just the four-year university or, or both community college i was you were still at home huh yeah i was still at home okay, so not that i wild. was going to a lot of punk shows but i was fairly fairly chill okay because i was still living with parents uh-huh uh, college. Let me Be- think of a good story. Uh, he, the, the beads of sweat on his forehead are forming. <laughs> I will wait because I know this is... I, you know, and I'm not even afraid it. of incriminating myself. I'm just thinking of a story that won't incriminate too many other people. <laughs> but one thing I did that was really, really stupid okay. that I hope is a lesson <laughs> uh-huh. is... Uh, even though I survived unscathed. What the fuck? <laughs> where, where are we going, Sir? I bought a $4 plastic shirt at the mall because I thought it was the funniest thing I ever saw. It was a plaid shirt, but it was plastic. It was the ugliest thing. Is ugliest Plastic thing. like how they use like plastic backpacks to like in school that they mandate? Yes. Yeah, but not clear. Like uh, It had the plaid. Yeah, like, it was plaid. It looked like a plaid. But that same up. like thickness of plastic. Yeah. Okay. And I remember knowing about how... Um, Special effects artists would take um, rubbing alcohol and they would put it on like pleather uh-huh. and then light it on fire to make it look like someone was Kendall, on fire. I really am getting uncomfortable <laughs> as you progress through this story. And this was the era of Jackass. 
and this was the era of, of all that. I, I was a skateboarder. My friends were skateboarders. Uh-huh. And uh, had a few drinks and decided that tonight was going to be the night that I pulled a stunt. And uh, wow. so I, I did what I needed to do. I prepared the shirt. And then I just needed someone to light it for me. And this guy. And you, and you consorted with a bunch of jackals that were like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll oh, be yeah. the lighter. One jackal with a video camera and another jackal with uh, a blow, not a blowtorch. He, oh, yeah, this was stupid, too. He filled his mouth with 151. No. Uh, no. And I'm then so glad your lit son's a, not little, here anymore. Spit it into a, a lighter, lit my the back of my shirt on fire, singed it, it fell off, and then I guzzled a beer and that was that. Okay, I'm okay. I'm And so then sorry. a bunch gonna... of my what? friends came up to me afterwards and were like, Yeah, high five me, that's awesome. And then another group of friends came up to me and they're like, You are so fucking lucky you are not dead. Dead! You okay? Wait, wait, wait! I'm so sorry because this now I have to make sense of this picture in my head. You you lovingly prepared quote unquote your shirt by rubbing alcohol on it to make it intentionally more flammable. Yes. You then donned said shirt. An intellectual, we're gonna call him Bob, uh, then filled his mouth with 151, spat it into a flame onto your extremely flammable shirt. Mm-hmm. It melted off of your did. glorious body, and you thought it was just rad. Yeah. Oh, I was wearing a shirt underneath it, too, I should add. A, a cotton shirt? Yes. Why? For protection? I, I, you know, looking back on it, I don't even think I was thinking that deep. I mean, clearly you were not. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. It's, but you, and you didn't, you didn't singe, you didn't singe your, your skin. I had a guardian angel that night or something, because I was... Completely unscathed at the end of the night. Wow. God bless. Yeah, okay. You're supposed to be here. That's fine. And wow. I don't th- you know, I haven't done anything like that since. <laughs> uh, one would hope not, sir. I can't believe that you are teaching children. My God. I, want you to tell this. I need you to tell the story to your students just as a cautionary tale. After they because... graduate. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just don't, don't be like me mm-hmm. because I almost didn't make it here. Uh... <laughs> and I was just picturing like the rubbing alcohol would burn off the shirt and it would be a nice little cute trick. And you it was clearly weren't a chemistry major. No, I was not. That's correct. <laughs> wow. 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 Do you have any non pyrotechnic <clears throat> stories of you losing your goddamn mind in college that you'd like to share? <sighs> Everything else is fairly basic. <laughs> I would say he's like, everything else is pretty pedestrian, either, fav- either pretty basic or it would incriminate other people. Okay. And we're not, we don't <laughs> snitch on this podcast. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I completely forgot what I was about to ask you next. Okay. What okay around around like what year did you what years were you in school from like community college to graduating from undergrad? Um, let's see, that was ninety seven to oh three. Okay, did you how did you um how did you understand or process like nine eleven as um, a as someone in school that's I presume kind of like you know paying attention to like. Uh, current events and I mean you couldn't not pay attention to that but like what was like where were you in terms of understanding what that meant I remember like um, sitting around with my roommates and uh, the after the first plane hit uh-huh. and just thinking wow what a crazy accident that was ah. and my mom calls me and is just like hey are you seeing what's happening and like she didn't like call me in the morning during the week either mm. And at that point, I was still kind of dismissing it. 
And then we watched live, the second plane. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was uh it wasn't that scary at first because it just seemed like a freak accident like a freak coincidence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I maybe dissociated a little bit. Sure. And I just um after a while, just talking with my friends about like the conversation was kind of like, wow, like we're finally, and I don't mean this in a good way, like, yeah, yeah. wow, we're finally getting our comeuppance as yeah. a nation. Yeah. Like, you know, we fucked and we shat on the entire world yeah. for decades mm-hmm. and it now is going to be our fall. Like, mm. that's kind of how we felt. Like, we were, we didn't quite understand what it would take to take over America, but it just seemed like something was going to happen. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a real wake up call. Mm-hmm. And then, I remember going to class and I smoked cigarettes at the time and walking up to this um, uh, Middle Eastern looking guy smoking a cigarette and I just approached him to ask him for his lighter and he like jumped back. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh no, I just I just was going to ask you for a lighter and he's like, oh, here you go, here you go. And he like lit uh-huh. my cigarette for me and like I could just tell like the tone was completely different. Uh-huh. Like he probably was approached negatively yeah. by some dudes in, uh, you know, central Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, yeah, I just realized, like, things were going to be very different mm. um, at that point. And, um, yeah, it was – I also – another real, like, pretty vivid memory I have, which kind of makes me sad, is that immediately – we lived, like, down the street from a gas station. Uh-huh. And then immediately, like, there was a line down the road at the gas station because, like, the first thing – where people's minds were going is, oh, gas is going to be more expensive now. Ah, uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you do you remember any of your your thoughts at the time uh, while you're in school about the response to 9/11? Did you like? Did you have a perspective on you know the the a perspective or opinion or what have you about like you know the the quick move to like invading Afghanistan and then like the turn to Iraq and like how Bush handled all this? Do you do you remember some of your your perceptions or I was definitely against the war. Yeah. Um, being in central Illinois at the time, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a movement at that time, uh. an anti-war movement. So, um, you know, I did what I, I read blogs, I guess. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> blogs against the war. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, just finished my studies. So I wasn't really that involved in activism during, uh, during the war, uh-huh. um, but definitely was against it. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was just, this, I always am interested in like how people remember these kind of like big, mm-hmm. enormous <laughs> events that have shaped our current reality. One um, huge event though from college, I remember very distinctly is the 2000 election. Ah, when okay. I, that was also a big awakening and like what things were going to be. I, what do you mean when you say that? Thought that Al Gore was going to be a shoe in. Huh. And I, at the time, were you were you fucking with the electoral realm at that time, or were you I was still a, an anarchist? Um, I was a Ralph Nader supporter. Oh, right on. Okay. Um, and I'm so proud of that. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's. I mean, in retrospect, that's the only reasonable position to have. Uh-huh. In uh, in 2000, um, at that point, I was kind of experimenting with a few things. Like I went, attended a few Green Party meetings. Wasn't too impressed with them, but uh-huh. um, was just trying to keep my my options open a bit. Sure. And. Um, but I wasn't like involved in any kind of political organizing mm. um, really at the time. And so I just like me and my friends were like, for the most part, we'll vote for Nader uh-huh. and Gore's probably going to win. Uh-huh. 
um, because George W. Bush at the time was perceived as being a real, uh, rightfully so, an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and a fail son. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, and a dumbass. And a dumbass. And yeah. Clinton was fairly popular at the end of his, yeah, his presidency. Term. Yeah, yeah. And Al Gore was never seen as a negative. Right. So, I know, I just thought he was, I guess in my mind, oh, yeah, this guy's bland enough to win. That's right. A neutral nothing. So we stayed up watching the news just thinking eventually they were going to announce it, call it for Gore. Do you remember that night, the flip like the, ah, uh-huh, go ahead. Because I was up with my roommates and my friends all night. Uh-huh. And I remember uh, it's Tim Russert with the, the dry erase yes. board, Florida, Florida, yes. Florida. Yes. Uh-huh. And then we did that with all of our dry erase boards, too. <laughs> we like made in real life memes about him, I guess. Uh-huh. And just stayed up all night. And uh, when, you know, just the fact that it wasn't tidy for the first time. It wasn't yeah. like we had results by the end of the did night. You, did that freak you the fuck out? Or was it just or was that kind of like cool? Do you remember, like, what was I the I would thought? say both. Okay. I would say I had a very edgelord humor at the time. <laughs> so I'd just be like, this is fucking awesome. We're never going to know where a president is. Yeah, yeah. presidents. But, <laughs> uh-huh. but deep down inside thinking, like, well, shit, what if this is the end of days yeah. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then leading up to 9-11, uh-huh. you know, that was a year or yeah. so of, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything is possible. Like the dumbest people in the world are running this country. Yeah. And do we? And I don't know if we have any hope. Uh, and then you live for 20 more years, and it's like wow. <laughs> <laughs> 2016 said, "Hold your beer." Um, interesting. <laughs> Yes, the halcyon days of the early aughts. <sighs> Good times. <laughs> Come back tomorrow for part two with Kenzo, where we get into his early years in the classroom getting owned just all the time. Uh, white whisperers and the work it took to strengthen the Chicago Teachers Union. And alas, the time has come. Uh, part two will be up tomorrow on the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash what's left to do and support this work and get an early first listen. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what's left to do. But don't worry if you can't swing our Patreon at $5 a month, all Patreon episodes will be unlocked after 30 days. Okie dokie. See you tomorrow.